Hey guys, Jason Davis here. Uh, with everything that's going on out there in culture, in the school system, especially the public school system, right? And drag shows and everything in between, our kids are under attack daily. And that's why I wanted to tell you today about the Tuttle Twins books. Tuttle Twins is really, it's the only books uh, that I know of for kids that really help them develop critical thinking skills about real world concepts, economies, finance, government, freedom, liberty, the free market, how to be self-reliant and outside the system. Right now, we just all have to recognize the world's full of companies and people and politicians that want to expose and influence our kids and in ideas that we don't support. And so that includes school teachers, unfortunately. So Tuttle Twins empowers parents. I encourage you to check them out at TuttleTwins.com or if you go to my website at DontTreadOnLiberty.com and go to Freedom Partners under Tuttle Twins, there is a special offer for you. So DontTreadOnLiberty.com under Freedom Partners. Check out the Tuttle Twins and we do have a special offer for you. Well, let's get back to the show. I hope you enjoy this week. God bless. Fighting back against the left's nonstop attacks on liberty, freedom, and America. America. This is Don't Tread on Liberty. Jason Davis is on the air. Welcome back to Don't Tread on Liberty. Thank you for being here with the election really up in the air and a good chance of a Biden presidency. A lot of you uh, are reaching out to me. Uh, you guys are very concerned as am I, about a multitude of different issues. And if I had to prioritize the top three critical issues that I think we should all be very concerned about with Biden in the White House, for me, it would be COVID restrictions and more lockdowns, a mandatory vaccine, and the Second Amendment. So today I have a very special guest with us. He's been on the air for over 20 years on Liberty Wash Radio, that's AM 1030 KBOI in Tucson, Arizona. He's also the co-founder and spokesman for the Arizona Citizens Defense League. Mr. Charles Heller is with us. Charles, thank you for being here. How are you? Better for talking to you. Thank you for the invitation to, uh, to come aboard. I do wanna make one distinction, and that is in terms of uh, talking about national politics, and that is the Arizona Citizens Defense League, of which I'm co-founder and still spokesman, does not have, um, doesn't speak to election issues. So the opinions I give you here today and what I think will go on have to do more with me and Liberty Watch Radio than with the Arizona Citizens Defense League. While I'm sure most of the people who are members might not disagree with me very much, I still don't speak for them in terms of election issues because we don't do election. We, we don't do elections, we do issues. Right. And I am aware the league is nonpartisan in that way. So I appreciate you clarifying that. I just uh, I don't want you to say that. I just don't want anyone to think that, you know, we have a, a position on, on things like that when, in truth, the Citizens Defense League does not. And I don't want to be litigious or a pain in the neck. I, I'm normally very lighthearted and usually joking by now, but I just want to make that really clear. So you just heard my intro regarding my top three imminent concerns if Biden does end up moving into the White House. Now, as someone who has been covering, you know, freedom and how government uh, interacts with our liberty for over two decades, would you agree with me on those issues being at the top of the list? Or would you have some other issues at the top of your list? 
No, uh, I would replace your uh, vaccine issue, mandatory vaccine issue with taxation would be my highest. Uh, mandatory vaccine would be a concern. I don't think, I, I don't see where it's going to be. And, and it may become an issue, but I don't certainly think it'll become a dominant issue because there's no way in the world to get people, uh, there's, <laughs> there's no way in the world to get people to, to, to uh, vote against President Trump, except maybe ruining the economy with a virus. <laughs> So, you know, I'm going to say, there's, I can't say really, there's no way that'll ever happen because, you know, I'm an idiot if I say that. But I will suggest to you that you're not going to get compliance with mandatory vaccine, with um, mandatory uh, vaccine. You're going to have terrible, terrible compliance. They're going to have to really do draconian things in order to get that to become, uh, to, to become anywhere near compliant. I mean, look at the compliance they're getting. With the uh, on the Safe Act in New York and in Connecticut with registration of uh, AR-15 type rifles, they figure they're getting between one and three percent compliance, and that's on something physical like a rifle, let alone something like uh, let alone something like a, a vaccine. You know, they can keep your kids out of school if they're not vaccinated. They might threaten to take your kids, but that's a state level thing, not a federal level thing, unless they try and make it a federal level thing, like you can't get your tax refund if you don't get a, vac a vaccination. So people will just underpay their taxes a little bit and not have a refund. I mean, you know, the, there's a natural consequence to, to using too much force in enforcing law. And I don't think they're going to, you know, I'm, I'm sure that a plurality of people will want the vaccine. But there's those of us, like I'm guessing you and certainly me, who aren't ever going to take that. I don't care what gun you point at. Let me just say, I agree with a lot of what you said there, but let me play devil's advocate for a second. Sure. Be because the government may not have to actually do it. We already see private businesses now moving to mandate this. I'm sure the airlines are going to require it uh, to travel. Ticketmaster yeah. Ticketmaster came out today. Uh, you're not going to be able to go to anything through Ticketmaster unless you've had one um, or you've had a test in the last 72 hours. Well, so, so you have all of these types of things going on where you're not even going to be able to function in society unless you take it. What are your thoughts on that? Well, it's Ticketmaster is a private organization, and they have every every right in the world to to oops let me not turn that up too high they have every right in the world to control your entrance to voluntarily to a thing that you're participating in you know they it, it's and if it's on private property furthermore and they want to make a requirement that say you get a test that you test negative to go in i don't see that as being unreasonable i mean you're the other side of that coin is liability if they don't act that way there's no liability protections in law and if uh if Rotus, if, if Rotus does get installed, you know the term Rotus, rectum of the United States. <laughs> if Rotus does get installed, then you know they'll try all kinds of things to try and, and, and make stuff mandatory. But the bottom line is, on private property, if Ticketmaster says you have to test negative to get in, and under Rotus, it's highly unlikely there'll be any liability protections whatsoever for business for for failing to protect people from the from the from the Wu flu from the Chinese flu okay so it's not unreasonable for people who are covering their assets to require that you have a negative test before you go into some venue is that wonderful no it's horrible 
but you know it's private property and i do i do respect the rights of private property owners and if ticketmaster as part of the contract wants to say that in order to get in order to get access to go see you know celtic women or Bruce Springsteen or whoever it is you want to go see that you have a negative test. I, I, I can understand why they do that. And I, I couldn't get mad at them. I'm not going to go to concerts anymore and I'm not flying anymore because I don't want to put up with the Gestapo at the airport. Uh, I've long ago quit flying and I've just, and I've just been driving there. So, Oh hell, I'll drive to Florida. I don't care. Rather than get on an airplane, get there in three and a half hours in an airplane, three and a half days to drive. I'm driving, you know, yeah, no, thank, no, thank you. Well, we could go on and on about this probably till the end of the month because I have all kinds of issues with COVID and I'm sure you do too. Um, But, you know, these businesses are only doing this because the government is making it a big deal. No, I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true at all. I think the businesses are doing it because they're risk averse. They don't want to get sued and they have no liability protection whatsoever with this, uh, with what's going on. And if it can be proven that somebody wasn't sick until they went to, you know, name the store or the event XYZ event, like they were fine until they went to Woodstock and then they got sick. You know, that year there was a big, uh, there was, there was a, a big pandemic that year of, of uh, Woodstock and they can hold the, the, what do you call it? The, the purveyors, the, the vendors, if they can hold that vendor liable for doing that and they, and get money out of them, they will. So I don't blame the business for doing it. I don't think it's the government forcing it. I think it's people in, a, in their business being averse or drinking the Kool-Aid. Sure, the business, uh, government's going to try and do it, like these muzzles they're wanting people to wear, which, by the way, I haven't been wearing. Yeah, I haven't put one on either. I just don't understand because, you know, we can go back as far as, uh, if you want to just go back the last 20 years, Zika virus, SARS, H1N1, swine flu, avian flu, um, Ebola, you know, and then before that, measles, mumps, rubella, polio. Well, I mean, we've never had to be vaccinated to go into a concert before. Why should we have to do it now? Well, because they can. (laughs) That's the sad truth. They can. So my point is it doesn't make it right. (laughs) Oh, I'm not, I'm not trying to justify it either. You know, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not saying that, that, you know, that, that it's a good idea. I'm just saying that there's a difference between public and private places. And there's also an issue with, li- with, uh, with liability and liability protection. Okay. Enough on COVID because I'm COVID out. That's all we talk about lately on this show is COVID. Yep. Um, the election from a constitutional perspective. How do you think this is going to shake out with the allegations and sworn affidavits that have now been filed about election fraud? I don't know. I don't know how it's going to strike in the courts. It depends how much you can get the court to take it to listen, the courts to listen to it. There's very, very clear evidence, statistical evidence. Uh, For instance, Arizona's uh, participation rate in the election was 79%. That's highly unrealistic. I don't think 79% of people participated in the election. Well, 79% of ballots were, were turned in, but I don't think 79% of people voted in the Arizona election. I find that hard to believe. I don't know what the average is in turnouts. Usually, I think 61 or 62%. To believe it suddenly went to 79, uh, that strains credulity. Yeah, and they had very similar numbers to that in Wisconsin um, yeah. and Michigan and other places as well. So absolutely. 
Okay. Right. Well, when you change the deadlines for registering and you change all kinds of other things in the, uh, and you change all kinds of other rules for the, uh, uh, supposedly for the virus, that it, it means automatically there's going to be, there's, there's going to be anomalies in the voting. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, what I don't understand is why, and maybe you can expand on this, you know, why is it that Arizona can't seem to count their ballots? I mean, it's it's eight days later, and they still have not counted the ballots. I mean, what are they counting, like 15 ballots a day? I mean, what are they well, doing? Well, there's, I'm not an expert on ballots. Arizona has had a problem in doing this for a long time. And so this is not unusual. Uh, Maricopa County, you can, you know, pretty much when you find there is a, uh, a Republican administration, they're usually competent in doing things. And when you're finding and where you find a Democrat administration, there's usually all kinds of, uh, of slippages and chicanery going on in it. I'm from Chicago. I'm pretty familiar with that. <laughs> I would say so. Okay. Every time I vote, uh, when I go to the polls, I always ask for two stickers and they say, why? And I say, I'm from Chicago and they always give me the second sticker. So it must not, be, it must be a fairly common, uh, a fairly well-known and common practice. Sure. My grandfather was a judge in Chicago and he's the last Republican in Illinois to win by recount. And that was 1932. Well, and it's a, it's just, a, it must be a generational tradition passed down. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it's it's kind of like for the Jews, the Yort site, you know, every, on the anniversary, two years hence of the election, they cheat again. They light the same candles. <laughs> Let's move to the real big deal, the Second Amendment. So, yep. I mean, I think you're probably going to agree with me that Biden has not been shy about the fact that he wants to limit our Second Amendment rights. No, um, he has not been shy. I agree with you. Okay. What do you think the first things that we will see on this from Biden as he comes into office? Two things. Number one, they're going to try and change the uh, protection of the Lawful Commerce and Arms Act, number one. And the second thing is they're going to try and ban uh, all internet sales of everything, parts, ammo, everything. They're going to go after that in a big way. And it's, you know, it. I don't know if they're going to try and do it by executive order or they're going to try and do it by law. It depends on what happens in the Senate. If the Republicans hold the Senate, it'll be very hard to get anything through unless the rhinos in the Senate cave, you know, um, and Republicans, you have to realize, are not well known for having a spine. That's absolutely true. However, I think uh, if Biden does get in and having the Democrat majority in the House, I think the Senate – you know, really has an obligation to hold strong. Um, has an obligation. So, como se dice obligation in English? Yeah, right. <laughs> so, so you're right. They're going to go after online sales, and then they're going to try to hurt the manufacturers. They've been trying to do that for a while. Right. But I'm sure we're also going to see uh, the return of the dreaded red flag and universal background checks, right? Yep. Yep, which is just strictly an excuse to go fishing to try and what well, they realize that you can't you can't really overturn the Second Amendment either by fiat, by executive order, or by um, or by law because eventually at some point the Supremes will step in and say no you can't do that. But by the same token, you can do the death of a thousand cuts a little here and a little there, and that's what they've been doing for years and years and years. 
And that's what we've been fighting back in Arizona. That's what we've been fighting back. And uh, we've been doing reverse incrementalism to them on, until, you know, last year when, uh, when uh, Ducey tried to uh, install a red flag bill. Yeah, and we'll get to that shortly. Um, but you mentioned the Supreme Court. Now, the Supreme Court, I mean, the first thing I want to say is, you know, they've given us wins like Heller, but then the cities still are not following the ruling. So even right. if they rule in our favor, it seems like it doesn't really matter. What are your thoughts? Well, eventually that's going to get to court and that's going to get tested. The thing to look for is when you see a circuit split, when one circuit rules one thing and another circuit rules another, that's when you're likely to see the Supreme Court grant certiorari because they can't tolerate the court system doing one thing in one area and another thing in another. That's just not something the court can countenance. So um, that's eventually what's going to take the, uh, an appeal to the Supreme Court. The important thing is, is that it be framed properly. You've got to understand that Heller was framed very, very, very carefully by uh, Bob Levy and by uh, <clears throat> Alan Gura. It was framed very, very narrowly. A lot of the pro-gun people didn't understand the Heller decision of, oh, why didn't you go for everything at once? You know, I, you're not, you're, you're, you're caving in by saying they can't regulate machine guns. And that's nuts because that's not how, how progress is made. You build, uh, you build cases on cases. The Heller law, uh, the Heller decision led two years later to the McDonald decision where the Supreme Court incorporated the Second Amendment upon the states. That's never happened before. Uh, not with, with firearms. It's happened with all kinds of other things. But the Supreme Court practices what's known as the doctrine of selective incorporation, where they only incorporate the Bill of Rights one piece at a time upon the states. And what they do is they keep the states from infringing the rights that the federal government is prohibited from infringing. Well, when the Supreme Court expands that and applies it to the states, that's how we've been getting our rights back. And that's how we've had a revolution throughout the country in uh, concealed carry and, in some cases, constitutional carry. Well, that's what you want to have happen. You want to have narrowly framed victories that are used as building blocks and stepping stones for the next victories to come down the pike. That's exactly what we did with uh, – that's exactly what happened with Heller and then McDonald, and then later, Madi I think it's Madigan versus Roe, or excuse me, Roe versus Madigan that uh, caused Illinois to get concealed carry. And pretty soon the other dominoes are going to fall. I think that New Jersey is going to be forced into some form of shall issue, and so will Hawaii. And that's how you eat an elephant, right? One bite at a time. Well, I could make a comment about dispatching the elephant, but it might be taken out of context and and, and used as ammunition against not just me, but the entire movement. So I'd rather not make that, I'd rather not make that allegory. <laughs> now, I, excuse me one second. I am fully in favor of elephant rights. <laughs> go, go ahead. <laughs> so the SCOTUS also punted on every single second amendment bill this last session. Now, and got, and, and good thing they did. Okay. So I was going to say there's different, uh, thoughts on this. I take it you're in the camp that some of the more conservative justices didn't want to bring it in for fear that Roberts might really hurt us badly. Might. W-I-L-L, might. Yes. Shall. And furthermore, it's not a guarantee now that Amy Coney Barrett's on the Supreme Court, but now what you have is in certiorari, you have to have what's called the rule of four, which means four justices have to agree to hear the case 
before cert can be granted. And they weren't, didn't necessarily have those four justices until Barrett came on the court. Now it's more likely that they'll actually hear a gun case, number one. And number two is not just because Barrett is more conservative, but, but Barrett is an originalist in the mold of cue the, cue the hallelujah chorus, uh, Antonin Scalia. Okay, she was Scalia's. Uh, she was a clerk for Scalia, and it's more likely that the that her acorn didn't fall far from his oak, and that she will have a tendency to be more originalist and look at originalist meanings when she goes to rule on when she goes to rule on whether or not something is constitutional. Yeah, we can only pray for that. Yeah, from our lips to God's ears. But the point is, now there is more likelihood. the The strongest proponent for that has been Thomas. Thomas has seen that some of the circuits are not following the doctrine of Heller or MacDonald, for that matter, and they're going back to some of their old ways about uh, claiming that it's only a right, a collective right, not an individual right. They're drifting back into that. And Thomas has been suggesting for a long time that the Supreme Court ought to put their foot down on that. And I think now that you've got four justices that are more or- originalist in nature, now you have more likelihood of, uh, of a case like that being taken. But it's got to be framed very carefully and very narrowly. And I want to say I'm not a lawyer, but I'm going by, you know, I've, I've talked to Alan Gura. I've talked to Bob Levy. I've interviewed both of them on the shows. I've talked to them both at gun rights policy conferences over the years. And what I'm saying to you is, is that you've got to be very, very, very careful on how you frame these cases. You know, just Bubba going to court and saying, well, the Second Amendment says this, and infringed means infringed. What's wrong with you people? That's not how a case is made. A case is made by very narrowly framing it and finding perfect plaintiffs like Dick Heller. You know, there were six people in that. That case was originally called Parker, and Shirley Parker lost her standing. The only one left with standing was Dick Heller, and the reason for that is Dick Heller followed his original lawyer, Dane von Breikenrukert, common spelling, uh, his advice on you go down to the D.C. police department and you try to get a gun registered. And you get, and when they turn you down, you get a letter in writing from them. And that's what he did. And that's the only reason that case, uh, that case uh, it kept its standing is because Dick Heller had a, a refusal in writing from the uh, Washington, D.C. department, the police department to register his gun. That was his standing. That was his entry door. Uh, that was his entrance test into the into the Supreme Court, his entrance exam, I should say. And you're right. They have to make it very narrow, and they have to make sure that it's the right argument so the judge can actually rule the right way. Yeah, narrowly so, framed. Narrowly framed, yeah, absolutely. So Arizona Citizens Defense League, this uh, your organization has been instrumental, um, you know, here in Arizona, year after year, strengthening our gun laws, our right to self-defense laws. And, and in year after year now, Arizona is rated number one for- Like know, guns and ammo, yeah. Yeah, guns and ammo and for uh, concealed carry laws, um, friendly to firearm enthusiasts. So I have to thank you. You guys are doing great work. Thank you, but it's mostly not me that's doing it. <laughs> I'm the <laughs> spokesman. I'm the, I'm, the, I'm the end of the org you hear, but the end that actually does the work is our lobbyists in Phoenix and then all our, our members who support our work and send, you know, uh, thousands and thousands of emails to their legislature, legislators and, and go to the gun shows and sign up and renew every year and become sustaining members and life members. That's because of the people who, who support us. We are very much a grassroots gun lobby. 
we're not because Charles is a great man because Charles is a fat little guy and it's behind his computer. It was just because you're on the phone with me. I wanted to give you a personal thank you. Um, well, I, in the name of the organization, I accept, but only on behalf of the others, not myself. <laughs> so I know, um, and you alluded to this earlier, there's always anti-gun legislation brought up each year. Yep. Uh, you mentioned Doug Ducey's push for red flag. Um, so go ahead and take me back this last year. Tell me about some of the big anti-gun legislation that you guys were able to get defeated. Well, every year, Randall Freeze, who's one of the uh, who's one of the legislators, one of the D legislators, and uh, <laughs> D minus in my opinion, but anyway, D legislators, every year for the last eight years have proposed the same thing, basically banning uh, 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 full capacity magazines and modern sporting rifles and everything else under the sun. And uh, as if somehow the capacity of a firearm is going to in some way limit some injuries to some people. And it's ridiculous because if it's not moral to shoot somebody with a, with, with a, uh, with a 10 round magazine, it's not moral to shoot them with a 30 round magazine. And the amount of ammo in the magazine isn't going to make much difference. Furthermore, some of the mass casualty shootings have been accomplished with, stand, with, with, with limited capacity magazines. For the one at Virginia Tech was done with 10-round mags, and so was the one at, uh, uh, at um, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. Yeah, and it's, always, and it's also in a gun-free zone, so that doesn't help either. Well, and it's in a, it, it happened to have been in a courage-free zone for the police officer a police officers assigned to protect the children. So this uh, this legislature and 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 I mean I was going to ask you like where do these come from? Are these coming from the actual legislators or are they coming in from special interest groups? I mean, where do you see the most of this stuff coming from? Well, they're using boy, uh, they're using ideas that come from uh, anti rights organizations like the Brady Campaign to promote gun violence and other such. And they're all Bloomberg related, you know, they're, they're, they're more or less joined at the rectum with other organizations, uh, with other similar organizations and largely Bloomberg funded. I'm sure there's, there's quite a bit of other funding in there from other uh, anti-rights organizations, but Bloomberg is a big facilitator of, of funding for these orgs. And they have their, their dream list of things they'd like to see done and done to, to us, in my, in my opinion, my never-to-be-humble opinion. But they have their dream list, and, um, you know, they quote from a common playbook. So they had, you know, so they, they always bring this stuff around. Universal background check, red flag law, high cap mags, assault weapons ban, online ammo common sale. Sense. Common sense gun laws. Yeah. And... You know, what's funny, I mean, is it like, is it just here in Arizona or what? But like the voters vote this stuff down, just like the marijuana law. I mean, are they just going to keep putting it back up until it passes? Or, I mean, how does this work? Well, it works that you keep doing the same thing over and over again until, until your side gains some kind of advantage. And the type of advantage is uh, turning the state blue. They got enough people that moved here from California. They damn near did it. In fact, Maricopa County turned very blue. Uh, in fact, uh, one of the members of uh, the board of directors of the Citizens Defense League referred to Maricopa County as Tucson North. And Tucson is very left wing because it's a university town. And, you know, Tucson has had the, uh, uh, a lot of run-ins with the state of Arizona on gun laws, especially destroying guns. 
My two sons said, oh, we're a charter city. We don't have to obey state law. And, <laughs> and uh, House Bill 1479 in 2016 said, if they write laws that are materially dissimilar to the state law, if the cities write ordinances that are uh, materially dissimilar to state law, they can have their state shared re uh, um, uh, revenue sharing removed. And that's what happened. They, uh, the Supreme Court voted against Tucson in 2018 to remove their state shared funding unless Tucson stopped destroying guns. And the city council voted four to three to change the ordinance. <laughs> and one of those four, the three that voted against it is now the mayor. Go yeah. figure. Yeah. You know? Shocker. What do you see coming then in the next session? More of the same stuff coming back around again? More of the same. Luckily, two of the rhinos, and don't ask me their names, I can think of one of them, but two of the rhinos got voted out. So we may have a somewhat more spineful Republican delegation, but, you know, don't bet on it. And Well, by the way, one of the red flag bills was proposed by a Republican. She's one of the ones that got voted out. With Mark Kelly <laughs> being seated as our new senator federally, Yeah, he's, I know you don't follow federal stuff, but I'm sure you know. Well, he's, I follow I, it. I, we just don't. We, we just don't do anything about it at this at this with the state level organization. I personally right. follow it. I just don't. The Citizens Defense League doesn't, and I want to delineate between the two. Okay, gotcha. So I'm sure you're aware then that Mark Kelly is probably one of the most anti-gun people you can find. Do you think that he's going to have any impact on state policies? I really don't know. I, I, do, I know that state and federal do cooperate to a certain extent. I, I'm sure that the lefties here will, will coordinate with, with, uh, with their fellow traveler and, you know, and try and screw things up as much as possible for freedom. Um, I don't think the guy, I don't think the guy under, has, has a clear concept of freedom. I think he's been a, a government guy for so long. You know, he believes in big government. What else is NASA? You know, <laughs> and he believes in the efficacy of, of, of government controlling stuff. And so that's what he's going to try and do. I mean, don't expect the leopard to change his spot. Yeah. And so if people want to get involved uh, to help you, it's Arizona Citizens Defense League, azcdl.org. Correct. And they need to have a good idea of what we do. What we do is we're lobbyists in the state legislature. We're activists in, in, in forming coalitions with people who want to preserve liberty. We may also this year go outside of our, our we've, we've kept strictly the right to keep and bear arms issues with the exception of uh, primary seatbelt violations. We were against that and a couple other odds and ends. We also worked, uh, for instance, in both Heller and McDonald. We had briefs, we had amicus briefs in the Supreme Court on both of them. So that was one of the rare exceptions to what we do at the state level that we went national, but we thought that was important and a good use of the members' money. And we also, we didn't work alone. We worked with other groups to, to, uh, to, to network on having briefs in the Supreme Court. But the majority of what we do is lobbying at the Arizona State Legislature for good bills on right to keep and bear arms and self-defense. That is the majority of what we do. We don't do candidate endorsements. We only do issues. And we work almost entirely at the state level, with the exception of if there was a, a, a case in the Supreme Court that affected our right to keep and bear arms, we might have a piece of an amicus brief on it. But other than that, we mostly work at the local level, at the, at the state level, and also a little bit at the local level if a municipality violates state law, 
to try and help let the legislature know that there's somebody urinating on their legislative intent and they need to fix it. Last question. I'd love to get your take on the Kyle Rittenhouse case. I need more information on it. It does not appear to it appears to me that it, that, that what he did was in self-defense. Uh, certainly the person who uh, one of the two people that he that he did shoot and kill uh, specifically was a threat and was pointing a gun at him at the time he was shot. And uh, but I, I still would like to get more information on it. It appears to me fairly clear cut self-defense. And I, you know, there are many complications to that case. It'll play out. I, I'm not sanguine that Rittenhouse will get a fair shake in the deal, but he's got a pretty good chance. He's got very good legal representation. Yes, he does. And we're on the same page. I believe that was clear-cut self-defense. Yeah. I, I mean, again, I'm not speaking for the Citizens Defense League. I'm speaking as a 27-year concealed weapons instructor and a fellow who is a civil libertarian and whose grandfather was a judge and his father was in law enforcement. I remember the 1964 argument in the front seat of our 64 Oldsmobile between the judge and the passenger seat and the cop driving about whether or not Miranda versus Arizona was a good idea. I remember that argument. <laughs> so, <laughs> but what I'm saying is, is that based on my experience, um, I think that um, I, I think that he will do okay. I'll tell you one if you want that I think the people goofed, and that's the McCloskeys in uh, St. Louis. If they'd have done that in Arizona, it would have been a crime. Did now, yeah, you know, you see the pictures. Uh, his wife is, you know, recklessly pointing the firearm. She's got her finger on the trigger. Um, right. We found out later her yeah. weapon was unloaded. No, it wasn't just unloaded. It was disabled. Right, disabled. We could not fire. Not even right. possible. But in, so, Arizona, in Arizona, that would not have mattered. Uh, it depends. If they could have justified a fear for their life, then yeah. maybe, maybe they would have been okay. No, what I'm yeah, maybe they could have if if they can justify a reason fear for their lives. If it was both immediate, unlawful, and deadly, they could have. They certainly could have made that threat. The question was, and the cameras weren't very very well positioned for this. The cameras didn't show what the people who were threatening them were doing. Had anybody threatening them had a weapon, they would they'd they'd be in the clear. And I think that'll come out at trial. Yeah, and that case is really interesting because they got charged, then the ch charges were dropped, and now they're back again. Right. Well, the problem is, is that at least in Arizona, and I don't know if, if, if Missouri has his law is functionally uh, similar or even identical or even close, well, similar to Arizona's, but in Arizona, threaten the use of deadly force against a trespass. Remember, trespassing is in almost all cases a misdemeanor. You can't threaten deadly force against it. Right. I mean, they're entitled to, in Arizona, they would have been entitled to the presumption of reasonableness for their actions per ARS 13-419, which Arizona Citizens Defense League helped get passed in 2006. The problem is, is that, is that, is whether or not their their lives were actually threatened. And in a criminal, straight up criminal trespass, trespass, they're not. So that's the problem. The question is, what will come out in court is the evidence. And of course, the governor there has said he'll pardon them if they get convicted. So that'll have something to do with it too. Yeah, and I don't know. I don't know how their laws are written in Missouri. So. Um, I understand from what I hear, they have uh, pretty strong uh, laws in favor of gun owners. Right. Well, they have castle doctrine and they have no duty to retreat. So they're in good stead, they're in good stead with that. The question is, 
whether or not they were under an immediate unlawful deadly threat, number one, and and well, that's and whether or not anybody had a a weapon pointed at them. If they did, you could certainly justify what they did. I would like to see some changes in Arizona so that someone is entitled. I would like to see us expand the presumption of reasonableness in Arizona against threats like the McCloskeys faced. That said, they could have solved their problem for ninety-five dollars by getting him a thirty-five dollar sling and her by getting him a thirty-five dollar sling and her a sixty-dollar holster. And if he'd have kept the rifle angled down on a sling and she'd have kept it in her holster with her hand on it, they wouldn't have been indicted. I mean, we can talk probably till the end of the month, Charles, because yep. there's so many issues that are going on. Um, yep. and, I'll, and I'm definitely going to have you back and we'll talk again. Glad but, to I do. but I really appreciate you coming on. It's Charles Heller, everybody. It's AM 1030 KVOI Tucson. And he's also part of Arizona Citizens Defense League. I'm also part of JPFO, Jews for the Preservation of Firearms Ownership. I'm their national spokesman as well. Furthermore, if anyone would like to get in touch with me, my email is charles at libertywatchradio.com. And if they want to listen to the archive of my show, it's libertywatchradio.com. Click on the recent shows archive, the last six months, the freedom hours, the left column, and the gun hours, the right column. Fantastic. Charles, once again, thank you so much. We'll talk to you again soon. You're welcome. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to Don't Tread on Liberty with Jason Davis. Subscribe on Google Play, iTunes, or your favorite platform. For more Liberty news, check out www.donttreadonliberty.com and subscribe to the blog or join the conversation. 